Welcome. Hello. How are you? Good. I was um, looking forward to this morning, you know, first day back in the saddle, so to speak, having the two weeks break, which is wonderful. And then about 1.30 this morning, uh, our wonderfully considerate neighbours came home from what I can only assume is the pub that kicked them out. Um, and music blaring in our bedroom window is right next to their driveway. Praise the Lord for that. And um, like it was pretty good music. There was like it was no doubts. Um, I think I'm just a girl or something was playing. Uh, incredibly loud. So I woke up to bop into that. I'm like, this is awesome. And then they thought, hey, let's take the party inside. I'm like, what a great idea. Keep it going inside. So they pumped the music till about 2.30. And then, uh, yeah, we took matters into our own hands and made a couple of phone calls. And they quietened down a little bit after that when they had a knock on their door from a couple of boys in blue. So that being said, didn't get much sleep. Um, so I'm running on the adrenaline, coffee, and the Holy Spirit, which is just a, the holy trinity of ministry right there. It's um, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, if you want to be a pastor, there's the three things to get involved with. Too much? Too much? No. Okay, I mean, yeah, holiday mode. Um, if you've got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go there. We're starting a brand new series. Um, before we get into that, I just want to thank um, all the crew that made all our services and midweek stuff happen over the last couple of weeks. Honestly, without you, we couldn't have the break that we feel like we needed and, uh, and wanted. So thank you all for doing what you do to make this happen. Thank you for uh, Lil and David Hooper for their story a couple of weeks ago, Jared and Alyssa Farrell last Sunday, and we did Michael and Amanda the week before that, but we were still here. And I've heard nothing but great things. It's all good. The church is still standing, praise God. So uh, it's all good, which is wonderful. Numbers are a little bit down this morning, so I'm wondering if, um, if something happened, uh, but that's a, we'll figure that out later. Um, but that's all good in the hood. Um, we're starting a, a new series the next few weeks, um, I'm calling it Battle Ready, and we're going to look through the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And it got me thinking, I've never preached on this topic before, and I was thinking about it, because we, we do a lot of work with just sort of touching base with the, the kids' crews and stuff like that, and I was thinking, because I prepare like the whole year's worth of messages, not message by message, but the whole theme for the year prepared you know, a year in advance almost, um, so it's about now I'll start looking at next year's whole preaching calendar. And so about this time last year, I'm thinking, man, all the kids' ministry get the best teaching. Like, we, we often go, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, that's a, that's a kids' church message. And, but no, that's, that's incredibly relevant for us old people who need to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. And the armor of God is another one of those things that we just go, oh, that's, that's a kids' church message. But I'm like, no, there is actually so much richness in that. And I was sort of convicted I've never preached on this before. So we're going to do a series looking at the armor of God, going through that, and we're calling it Battle Ready. And uh, what I love about this is... Ephesians 6, so we're looking at verse 10 to 14 this morning, but Ephesians is probably one of, after Romans, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And what I find interesting about the armor of God is, um, is the emphasis that Paul is giving on this sort of passage. He didn't see this as like, oh, well, this would be a beautiful little um, narrative for kids' church. I'll just throw a couple of verses in the back end of my book to the church in Ephesus. And, and then in 2,000 years' time, the church all across the globe can just throw it in the kids' curriculum. And, and it'll be, no, no, no. When you read Ephesians, like it, he finishes one of the most incredible letters he ever wrote um, with a massive 
um, exclamation point, which is the armour of God. So if you read Ephesians 1 and 2, stunning chapters of Scripture that talk about how we've been adopted into the family of God, about how God has lavished his grace and his love upon us, about how salvation is nothing that we can earn or do of our own strength, but it is the free gift of God that he gives to each of us who choose to believe so that none of us can boast in our own strength, but only boast in Christ. So it's so good. And, and then he finishes saying, finally, guys, I've said all this stuff, which is awesome. But I don't want you to forget one of the most important things is put on the armor of God. It's great to know who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you and all that sort of stuff. But we're in a battle. You've got to put on the armor and get ready for what is to come. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 14. And the words should be on the, um, on the screen. Finally... Again, finally, after all the stuff, the previous five chapters of just rich theological brilliance, he finishes by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done, and have done, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Let's pray. Father. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I'm so thankful and grateful to be here. I thank you for every single person that is here today, Lord God, and those who might be listening afterwards online. Lord, I pray that this message would bring glory to you and also bring truth and light to our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way so that your spirit can flow through me today and that your word would just illuminate every corner of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. A man by the name of James Montgomery wrote an expository commentary on the book of Ephesians. And in that he writes, many Christians, sorry, many see Christianity not as an entrance into warfare, but as an exit from it. Think about that. Let that sink in. Many see Christianity not as an entrance into warfare, but <gasps> an exit from it. I am free from all these things, these problems. In today's world, with the coupling of um, a Christian culture that has crept in of easy believism that tells you that God is essentially a cosmic ATM that will give you what your heart desires and living in a secular society that preaches a gospel of individualism and self-reliance, we can easily find ourselves in a place where we just want God to give us all these good stuff and we'll just battle through life in our own strength because we've got this. You do you, boo, I'll do me, it's all good. And what happens is this lulls us into forgetting that there is a spiritual battle raging all around us. A battle of good and evil that is fighting for our attention, fighting for our affection, fighting for our money, fighting for our soul, fighting for our salvation. That's what's going on. And if we, if we buy into this, this concoction of easy believism and individualism, and it's like, well, we just sort of become lulled into a sleeping sense of unawareness of what's actually going on. So yes, there's a war going on around us. And that being said, I'm also aware that, that Satan is not hiding around every corner trying to steal my health, trying to nip at my heels and take my money and take my joy. 
Um, sometimes bad things happen to us because we are unwise. It's not the devil. We might have just made a stupid decision and we end up reaping the consequences of that. Sometimes it's just a hurt, uh, someone else has hurt us. And sometimes we find ourselves in unfortunate circumstances. I am convinced that I am not under spiritual attack from Satan because I forgot to or neglected to share seven times Arnie Carroll's post on Facebook to say that God would be disappointed in me if I didn't share it. And therefore now the devil is out to get me because I simply scrolled past and denied God before all my followers. Like, what the, what the heck? What is that? There, there, is a massive, there is a massive difference between supernatural Christianity and superstitious Christianity. Massive difference. Spoiler alert, C3 Coffs Harbour is not a superstitious church. It's not a superstitious form of Christianity. I don't believe that the devil's like the booger man that's trying to get me uh, all the time. It's like, no, no. I believe in the finished work of the cross, the power of the blood of Christ that has washed my sins clean and that there is no other name under heaven or earth in which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. And I put my head on my pillow at night and I just thank the Lord that I am his. And I sleep like a baby. Unless my neighbours from hell come home at 1.30 in the morning. But we are a supernatural church. We do realise that there is a battle that we are involved in in the supernatural realm that we need to be aware of. So it's about having a healthy balance of understanding and awareness about the spiritual battle that we're in. Um, in his commentary, Boyce goes on to say that although Satan is not a spiritual counterpart to God, it's not like yin and yang, not like evenly matched, um, the devil is way outclassed. See, the devil is not omnipotent, he's not all-powerful, he's not omnipresent, he's not at all places, and he's not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, whereas God does. However, he is nevertheless a very formidable foe, and a Christian is foolish if he thinks Satan can be resisted by mere human strength alone. This is why in uh, verse 10 of Ephesians 6, uh, we're at the very start, Paul says this, that we need to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Not my willpower. My willpower is not enough to resist the devil. But I rest in the strength of Christ that he gives me because of who I am in him and the power of Christ at work in me because the Holy Spirit dwells in me because I'm now a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's that confidence I have that he who started the good work in me will see through to completion will then give me the strength I need in the battle I have against the enemy so that God's strength allows me to resist the devil that is not just my strength in my own abilities. So we've entitled this series Battle Ready. And it's funny that we did Battle is Yours this morning um, as a song. We didn't collaborate on that. We should have, but we didn't. Um, but we're going to go with that. So what can we do to be strong in the Lord? How do we get battle ready? Well, what Paul suggests in these few verses we just read is twice in verse 11 and in verse 13 he repeats himself now it's not because he sort of forgot what he wrote two verses earlier and goes oh yeah i'll write that you know he intentionally um replicated this thought twice in these four verses to emphasize and ram home the point that we had to put on the full armor of god twice in two verses verse 11 verse 13 put on the full armor of god not the pieces of the armor that you prefer 
not the pieces of the armour that are more comfortable for you to wear, not the pieces of the armour that perhaps you need help in because you've got the rest covered because you're awesome. Put on the full armour of God that without the full armour of God, we are exposed and vulnerable for the enemy who roars around, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. The whole armour, all of it. And we're going to go over the next five or six weeks and unpack each piece of this armour that's going to help us to... Um, clothe ourselves in such a way that we are battle ready to stand firm in the face of the battle of life that we are in as Christians and as human beings. So today we're going to look at the first piece of the armor, which is the belt of truth. My kids met the belt of truth when they were very young. Um, just to keep them in line. Is that right, Luca? That is not true. That is not true. I, I did, I did not. Although what I did do is, I never, I never whacked my kids with a belt. That's, you know, this is being recorded, so just. Um, but you, you ever get your leather belt and you fold it in half and you do the, the flex it together and you snap it out? Whoosh, whoosh, that's enough to, to scare the kids. Anyway, I digress. Technically speaking, the, the belt of truth, like in any armour, the belt is not really part of the armour, it's more of the dress. There's nothing defensive or offensive about this particular piece of the garment. It's not a protective piece that's going to either keep you defensively secure or put you on the offense in this thing called the battle of life. But what it does is it's a piece that nonetheless holds the entirety of the armor together. So it's secured and works properly. Now, some of you might remember me from when I was a teenager, uh, and I just want to apologize for that. Um, I, was, I, mean, I was a weird kid. And I, I, I've been this height since I was 15, so I've been quite tall since I was quite young. Hoping to get to seven foot, but it never really happened, but I'll deal with six four, that's fine. And I was really skinny in high school as a teenager, like super skinny. And I was really self-conscious of, of my skinniness. And thankfully, in, in the early 90s, um, like baggy clothes were like it's like the full baggy pants you can remember that the baggy shirts like the full homie style was like super big in the 90s and yeah amen i see that hand and and so i thought that the baggier the clothes i bought a the more in fashion i would be and b the more it would hide my skinniness but it did not hide my skinniness it highlighted my skinniness because it looked like I was wearing a tent with two little tent pegs sticking at the bottom. And it was just, it was horrible. It was like, I wasn't wearing clothes, the clothes were wearing me. And, but I, to achieve this, and this is absolutely true, I would buy um, pants that were three or four sizes too big. Um, I was probably about a size 30, 32, and I would be buying 38, 30, uh, 38 and 40 size to get the bagginess, bro, because that was awesome. And, and every single time I would put the pants on, I didn't have the hips to hold them up. <laughs> to the floor. So I would, for my entire life, because I wore clothes, now it's like, what happened to you? You know you wear skinny stuff all the time. Well, God healed me, amen. Um, and I would have to wear a belt in order to have the outfit secured and me to feel confident and, and like I was wearing the clothes to fit. So a belt is what I needed to tie the whole thing together in order to live the christian life well and be battle ready we need to have our whole lives secured by the belt of truth 
That's what's going to keep us together. That's what is going to keep us secure. That's what is going to make us battle ready is to have our belt of truth that secures absolutely everything. John 14, 6. This is what makes Jesus so much different from any other religious leader or world leader or historical figure ever. He says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He called it. Essentially, I'm God. I'm the way for you to get through this life and I'm the way for you to get to the next. I am the truth. I'm not a truth. I'm not one in a series of leaders. I am the truth. I'm the life. You will not experience the fullness of life apart from Jesus. You will only experience partial life because he is the life. Fullness of life only comes from relationship with Jesus because he is the author of life. And to know him is to know true life. You would have heard me say this before. Um, there's a lot of ologies in theology, and I love theology because I'm a bit of a nerd like that. Um, but there's, there's things like ecclesiology, which is like the theology of the church. There's eschatology, which is like the theology of end times and how things will wrap up. There's pneumatology, which is the theology of the Holy Spirit and how he works and how, what he does. But, but of all the ologies there are in theology, the highest and most important and significant for you and I to get is our Christology. The theology of the nature, the work, and the person of Jesus Christ. The most important ology in all of our theologies. Why? Because Colossians 1.17 tells us that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Like what? Like the belt of truth. It holds things together. Jesus is the truth. So let's look at truth. <laughs> we, we live in a generation where um, it's becoming increasingly accepted and celebrated to have, and it's super cute, this is super cute, my truth. This is, look, this is my truth. And you have your truth. And I, what the heck is that? What the heck is my truth? There's no such thing as my truth. Now, granted, I will give you, there is such thing as or my experience, or my opinion, or, or my preference. But there's no such thing as my truth. It's only the truth. That's it. But, but today's world is celebrating this, this hyper-individualism where you can have your truth. And if it's true for you, it's true for you. And that's great. But that doesn't make it true in any sense of the word. Imagine if science operated on, oh, well, that's your truth. No, no, science doesn't. Science operates on the truth. It's measurable, it's tested, it's reproducible, it's the truth. It's not interpretation. So what we mean by my truth is my opinion, my preference, or my experience. That's what we mean by that, because you can't have my truth. For example, my truth might be when I throw an egg on the ground, it bounces. That's my truth. Well, that's all good and well, but the truth will be exposed when I bounce that egg on the ground. Then we'll see if my truth is the truth or not. Because the truth will not lie. It will not change, regardless of what I feel about it, what I say about it, or have an opinion about it. The truth is the truth. And no matter what you feel about Jesus, think about Jesus, he is the truth. And you can have your version, your interpretation, your opinion, your thoughts, whatever. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. When push comes to shove, your opinion, your preference, my opinion, my preference, will make way for the truth of who Jesus is. 
In our Christian experience, many divisions in the church have been created by people and their truth rather than surrendering in unity to the truth. And it's here, it's in, it's in this part where we have our preference, we have our opinion, we have our experience. This is how we should do worship. This is how church should be structured. This is what we should do. And all those things are great. But what church divisions and, and relationship breakdowns happen when we make our opinions, our truths, rather than surrendering to the truth in unity so we can be one body, as Jesus has commanded us to be. And it's in this place, it's in this fracture where the enemy gets in and, and, and sort of leaves us feeling vulnerable and exposed. Because we haven't secured ourselves with the belt of truth. We've secured ourselves with the belt of preference or the belt of opinion, rather than surrendering to the truth, which is Jesus. Humility is the only way to, to bridge where you might be in your truth to the truth where we humble ourselves enough to, you know what, I might not be right. And my experience might not be the, the, the totality of what God might have for me. And so in order to, to, to unite and surrender to the truth, I have to be humble enough to let some stuff go in order to sit and receive the truth and unite with other people. Let my opinions go, let my offences go, let my bitterness go, let my hurts go, and surrender around the truth of Jesus. I was talking to someone the other day and um, I was talking about how our beliefs, what we believe about stuff is shaped by where we source our information. So what we expose ourselves to, the information that we receive, is essentially shaping us into what we believe. And I use this example, it's like, you know, people who are pro-Trump, um, don't worry, I'm not going to get political, it's okay. Um, but people who are pro-Trump usually get their source of news from a completely different place than those who are anti-Trump. And so the source of information actually shapes what you believe about something. And, and we're living in a very, very difficult age right now where we don't have like three major newspapers and a couple of news channels that we can watch get our news from. We have thousands upon thousands of avenues of information that are streaming to our phones in our hands at any given moment of the day. So who do you believe? What do you believe? Because oftentimes all of those opinions and those sources are contra contradictory and it gets so confusing for the average person. How can sources be trusted? And so when it comes to our Christian worldview and our Christian lifestyle, where is your belt store? Where are you buying your belt of truth from? Where, where are you, where are you what is the source that is feeding you and shaping you to think the way you think and behave the way you behave? Is it from your morning devotional book or app, like Anna shared this morning? Is that, is that the source where you, you draw your truth from as a Christian? Is it a soundbite from a celebrity pastor on Instagram? Oh, that was a cool little one-liner. So that's how I'm going to form my, uh, shape my worldview Christian lifestyle on. Is it a book of your favorite author? Is it a televangelist? Is it your local church pastor that you just come to church on a Sunday and whatever they say, yep, cool, I believe that too. That's great. Or is it the inerrant word of God? More specifically, is it Jesus himself? Is he the source of information that you as a, as a disciple of Christ surrender yourself tr to so that his truth can secure you and everything about you because he himself is the truth? Now, this first list we looked at about devotional books, 
Instagram posts, authors, all this stuff. They're all great, right? But they should always be secondary. And the second list, the Word of God and Jesus more specifically, should always be primary. Problems arise when secondary becomes primary and primary becomes secondary. This is where my truth starts to develop. Because we, let me just, this is what we do, right? We do what 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 to 4 suggests. For the time is coming and perhaps it's already here when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they'll turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. That's where my truth comes from. I'm going to position myself around people who think like me, sound like me, or, or what I believe and what I want to have, and we have my truth. But are we... And Those things are great, but they have to be secondary because they have to measure up to something that is the truth. And if your truth doesn't measure up to the truth, well, it's not truth at all. It's simply preference, or it's opinion, or it's experience. We have to measure up to Jesus the way, the truth, the life. Because if we don't, we put around ourselves people who tell us what an itching is, want to hear, and we drift away from the truth into myths. And that's how cults start. That's how people backslide and go into, and lose their salvation and, and walk away from God. Our whole Christian life is secured by the belt of truth, which is Jesus. It's not just about knowing truth, right? It's not just about having good theology, although that's really important. It's about living truthful lives. It's about our Christian character. It's about our Christ-like formation. It's about being with Jesus, yes, and understanding him and knowing him, but it's also about being like Jesus and living like him and being responsive to him. It's interesting that Paul puts truth first in the list of components in the armor of God. It shows the importance and significance of truth. The truth secures us and the whole armour that we're called to hold in order to be battle ready. Verse 11, verse 13. Put on, take up the whole armour of God. But it starts with making sure that you've got to build a truth around your waist. So that everything that we are about to put on, not the favourite bits, not the bits that we need most, not the bits that we feel comfortable with, no, no, every single part we're about to put on is secured by the belt of truth. So essentially what this boils down to is making Jesus the primary source of information that we go to to draw from on how to live the Christian life. Primary. All those other things are secondary and great. I'm, I'm a secondary source. I am not your primary source of information. I'm secondary. Jesus is primary. Because anything I say that might be out of alignment with the truth, Jesus, you can easily discern. You go, no, nah, that's not true. I'm not going to take that. But anything that is true that lines up with the truth, Jesus, cool, I can take that, I can move on with that. But we have to have a true north set in order to keep our whole Christian lives secure. And it's set in Jesus. And it's in Him we live, we move, and have our being. Colossians 1.17 Jesus holds all things together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning.
Lord, I thank you for this, this series, this passage about the armour of God, Lord, that um, yeah, help us to really open our hearts to receive this over the next few weeks, God, to really take it on board, to see it as more than just a teaching series in kids, but a life-changing, helpful series that will actually shape us into being the kind of people, the kind of disciples, the kind of followers that you would have us be, God, that we would take this life seriously, that we would see ourselves in the supernatural battle that your word warns us about, Lord God, and we would take that seriously and put on the armor of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put around ourselves this belt of truth, Lord, which we know is you, Jesus. Lord, we want you to be our primary source of information of how to live this life of how to think clearly, of how to treat other people, of how to, how to treat our wives and our husbands and our families and, and how to treat our employees and our friends. Lord, that, that, that you, you would be the standard, Jesus, for every area of our life. And Lord, in this moment, as we finish the service, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would stir their heart. Lord, people that when they think about their life and go, what, what is the truth that I, that's holding my life together? Is it, is it worthy of holding your heart? Maybe your truth is your truth, your opinion, your experience, your opinion, your circumstances. I want to tell you that there's got to be something greater. And that thing that is greater is Jesus. So Father, would you stir all of our hearts right now to take stock of our lives, of our hearts, of our souls. And would you help us to reorder things in such a way that you become number one and everything else falls into its rightful place after that. God, we need you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name.